We are continuing a series called The Real Jesus, and I shared with you last week, okay, if you, if you were here with us last week at Easter, uh, we shared last week that the, the theme of this, sort of the, the underlying theme of, of this is to understand the difference between my Jesus, your Jesus, and the real Jesus, right? My Jesus, your Jesus, and the real Jesus. If I were to individually go to every single person in here and ask them what their understanding or their view, or if they had to picture Jesus, what would he look like, what would he say, we would probably all have something different to say about Jesus, which I love because it reminds me of one of my very favorite movie scenes and movie clips. Let's watch this together. Your time again. So I don't know if you'd picture them any way like that, um, but everybody would have their own kind of idea. I, lo- I love that scene because everybody just is honest about how they would picture Jesus. But as we talked about last week, whether it's something, whether we could agree on some things, because people can talk about Jesus and agree on lots of things, loving, supportive, uh, accepting, um, but there's lots of things sometimes that we talk about that we disagree about. You know, your Jesus is a taskmaster, a rule maker. My Jesus happens to be, uh, it's all about freedom and me to live my life my way. And so whether it's something we agree on or disagree on, what we talked about last week is an area that usually no one talks about when it talks about their Jesus. And that's all authority. That the real Jesus, one of the distinguishing marks of the real Jesus is that he has authority over everything on heaven and on earth. Lived that way. When his resurrection ascended that way, we're rem- reminding us constantly that there was nothing, guys, nothing that was not going to hit you in your life that wasn't going to fall under the authority of Jesus. And so we just said last week, you know, you have to really work through what authority do you live by, you know, in your life? Because you can live by your Jesus, right? You can live by what you th- believe your Jesus to be, but if it's not the real Jesus, then it's not all authority over your life. And it really does reveal the Jesus you follow, right? Now, authority is hard, okay? Authority is hard because for most of us, our images and thoughts of Jesus is usually like a homeless man, you know, kind of like emo Jesus or whatever this is. And sometimes it's just kind of a, you know, gangly, wispy, you know, marshmallow version, right, of Jesus, always gazing off, like staring at nothing, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, these, sometimes these are the images that we, we have allowed to influence our idea or our thought. And so that usually doesn't say authority. That usually doesn't have a picture, right, of all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. And so today what I want to talk about, I'm so excited about talking about this. It's one of my favorite things. If you and I were to sit down for a couple of hours over coffee or cigar or whatever, it doesn't matter. If we were to sit down for an extended period of time and we were to talk about Jesus, you would hear me talk about everything I'm going to share with you today because it's just so, so personal to me. 
And that is us understanding the personality of the real Jesus. The personality of the real Jesus. That he came in person for a reason, right? God in a bod. God became man for a purpose, for a reason that would matter to our lives. And there is a personality about God. There's a personality that we see in Jesus that if we miss it, we miss everything, okay? We miss everything. And so, I'm, you know, personality is a big deal. Everything has personality. We have personality. Stuff in culture has personality. I'll give you a couple of examples. That Personality is really the kind of not just the characteristics or qualities, but it's the essence, right, of what it is that makes you feel a certain way, right? So I thought of, I thought of my two favorite things, food and music, okay? So food has a personality, right? That's Thanksgiving, so Thanksgiving has a, an essence to it. You know, when you th- I don't know what your experience is, but when you think about Thanksgiving and you think about the food that's involved in Thanksgiving, okay, it's never just the food, right? It's who you're with. It's the environment you're in. It's crazy Uncle Tony. You know, it's like it's all the people in your life. It's the love you feel. It's the, it's the, it's the environments you're in that gives you a sense of, of that personality of what you're going to enjoy and the way it makes you feel, Right? Now, this is a Thanksgiving microwave dinner, which is technically the same, okay? It's technically the same. Is it the same? No. Yeah, let's all say it like we know. Is it the same? No. Why? Because the the essence of it's gone. The personality is gone. The part that connects to us is gone, right? Again, music. Music has a great personality. Music is, is just filled with personality in terms of you know, our minds, our memories, our, uh, the way it makes us feel, right? I'm a child of the 80s. This was a great song in the 80s. It was, had the, it was the best music video around. Go ahead and play it. This was personality, right? You know, listen, you remember how old you were. You remember the TV you watched it on, right? You remember how it made you feel. There's tons of personality in music. However, technically, the same song fills America, fills America's elevators and business rooms when Muzak gets a hold of it, right? Go ahead and play that. Yeah. Same song but not the same song. Am I right? Not the same song. It's just sad, isn't it? It's just sad. Turn it off. It makes me cry. Turn it off. All right. Just sad. But it's technically the same. Everybody with me? It's technically the same. And this is the tragedy of Christianity. This is the tragedy of the religious uh, nature of, of our Christianity is that is our two-dimensional view and understanding of Jesus. It starts when we're kids. It starts with like the felt board. You know, it starts with the simple little cut-up pictures of, of the little, you know, sanitized versions of, of Bible stories. It starts there, but it creeps its way into adulthood where, where we know a lot about Jesus. We know some technical trivia about Jesus. We know some things that are, that are accurate 
about Jesus, but we don't actually know Jesus. There is no feeling, there is no essence of who he is that makes a connection for us. It's the personality that comes out. I'm going to share with you this resource. As I was preparing this, my message, I'll be, I told Tracy, my message was all over the place a couple weeks ago. And then I remembered a book that talked specifically about this. It's called Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge. And I'll just give that to you so you can see that. I'm going to use three of his phrases, but it talks about many, many different aspects of this in terms of the personality and the person of Jesus. But, but for me, I want to go back to the fact that personality matters, okay? Personality matters, and Jesus came in person for a reason. Here's two uh, scriptures I'll give you. First is in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest. He's talking about Jesus now has become our high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to, what's the word? Say it out loud. Empathize with our weakness because we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet did not sin. Okay, this is an important word here. It's not the fact that God sympathizes with you as if he kind of gets it. We have a high priest. Jesus took this role of someone who now had the feelings and the emotions and the core essence of humanity and is able to empathize with us in our prayers, in our requests, in our conversation with him. He said to his disciples on more than one occasion, I'm just going to read one, where uh, Philip kept saying, hey, you know, you keep talking about the Father, you keep talking about the Father. When can we meet him? When can we see the Father. And Jesus' response was this. He said, don't you know me, Philip, even after we've been together for so long, for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus made it perfectly clear that if you want to see God, if you want to understand God, then you look at the person of Jesus. Okay? Not just the deity. That's, that's the tragedy of Christianity is we have this two-dimensional view, this wispy marshmallow you know, version pictured in our mind, and then we're told to just trust the deity, trust the God that's on the other side. And it's not that he's not fully God and fully man, but we have neglected the reason he came to show us and to reveal to us his personality. Show us what he, was, what he would feel like and what he looks like and how he responds in a way that we can connect with. So I'm going to just talk about three. Okay, so today is just, I'm just going to hit three highlights. I'm going to read lots of scripture, just kind of bounce around, but hopefully you'll be able to follow me. These are just examples so that you can begin to engage, I feel like, with the person of the real Jesus. And these are phrases that I'm pulling, again, from pulling from the beautiful outlaw. That's why I loved going back to read, look, look over that book, is that just the way those phrases came alight helped me with a framework today of the message. First thing I want to talk about is the playful joyfulness of Jesus, right? The playful joyfulness of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about what you are like when you are with your closest friends, Right? I want you to think about how you, how you act and how you respond when you let your hair down and you're okay with them and they're okay with you. And your closest, I mean, whether women, whether it's you connecting over coffee or in a home or whatever the case is, I just got uh, back from a B3 weekend with, with some of the men in our church where we were around the campfire. And I, you know, those are the moments that I can't help but picture Jesus and his guys. 
I can't help but picture three years, more than three years of Jesus around the campfire with his guys laughing and enjoying one another, right? Because that's what you do, isn't it? You laugh, you enjoy life, you enjoy one another. C.S. Lewis says, and this is a great quote, it says, the purest laughter on earth dwells in the kingdom of joy. The purest laughter on earth dwells in the kingdom. That, that belongs to us. That belongs to those who, who, who follow Jesus. That belongs to the, us who are part of the kingdom of God. That kingdom of joy is the purest form of laughter and enjoying life. I'll give you, a, again, I'll just give you a few examples. This, and I'm going to give, I chose a couple that are kind of post-resurrection you know, because that's where we are kind of in celebrating resurrection last week. So this is one I really wanted to do last week, but I waited until this week because it was a great example. And this is where Jesus... He's already appeared to Mary after he's, he rose from the dead, after he rose at the tomb. He's already appeared to Mary. And this is before he actually goes into the upper room with the disciples, before he reveals himself to the disciples in the upper room. This is a great, great story if you've never heard this. And it just goes to show the pure, the pure, just, just playfulness and joyfulness of God. It says the same day, two of them, talking about two of the disciples, were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Okay, this is, this is after the, 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 um, the crucifixion. It's three days. They are leaving town, discussing everything that just happened. And it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Okay? They, they didn't know it. And then he asked, what are you guys discussing together as you walk along? And they stood there with their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked them, are you only visiting Jerusalem? You know, who does not know the things that have happened in these days? He says, are you, are you new, right? Are you been under a rock? Like they're discussing this, this thing that happened and, the, and really for them was the death of, of what they were expecting. And here comes this guy that goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? He said, well, what are you new? Don't you know the things that have happened? Look at Jesus' response. What things? Right? What things? Oh, he's having fun. Don't you know he's having fun? He says, what things? And he goes on, and he says, uh, this is the little bit of the middle of the story. He goes on to, uh, they share with him what happened, and, and he basically responds to them and says, don't you, don't you understand that all of that needed to happen? Like he was talking about scripture, and then he actually, this is really cool, Jesus walks them through as they're walking along these seven miles. He walks them through the Old Testament law and prophets all the way to what happened and kind of connects the dots for them. Just helps connect the dots. And then he acts like he's going to go further, but they're like, no, 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 you need to come stay with us. They, it was nighttime. They, they were going to eat a meal. They said, no, come, come stay and have some dinner with us. So Jesus goes in and has dinner with them. And I love this. This is such a great part. When he was at the table with them, they took bread and gave thanks and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. Right? Like, don't you, listen, if you can't read this and see the playfulness of God, okay? If you can't, if you can't imagine it, that he's, listen, he has just finished his mission. Y'all with me? He has just accomplished everything. He said it is finished, and it was finished. He has been to death and hell and took the keys. He is on top of the world right now. 
shows them off along to the disciples. Hey, what you guys talking about? You know, walks with them, teaches them, decides to let them see him for who he is, and then goes, and then gone. Right? That, that, you have to understand, when you read this, you have to see, who is this Jesus? Now, I love this, because they're giving the account to Luke. Okay, Luke, Luke got all the eyewitness testimonies. And I love the fact that these guys said, they asked each other, hey, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened scripture to us? That's their way of saying, I think we knew. Right? I, I mean, sh- didn't you feel something the whole time? Like, we're surprised, but we're not fully surprised, right? This is, this is what, I mean, Jesus had fun with life. He had fun with his guys. He had fun with people. He enjoyed all of it, okay? We, we attribute and ascribe to him that he's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, which is true, but it's not complete. You understand? It's true, but not complete, right? He wasn't Eeyore walking around, needing his meds, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, who's going to follow that guy? Nobody. No, he, there was a playful joyfulness to, to Jesus, right? He gave his, his guys nicknames, right? Thomas was called the twin. We have a few of them recorded. I love the one nicknames he gave to James and John, their brothers. And at one time, this is, you can read about it in Luke. At one time, they went to Samaria, and they were disrespected, okay? The Samaritans were kind of giving them a little bit of a problem, right? And so, listen, James and John went to Jesus and asked him, hey, do you want us to call on heaven and rain fire down and destroy them? Can you imagine asking Jesus that? Hey, do you want us to call on heaven and have him rain down fire and destroy these people? And I don't know if the nickname came right then, like for Jesus, or just later on in Mark's gospel, we learn that he actually refers to these two guys as the sons of thunder, right? He calls them the sons of thunder. I can just only imagine the moment like, oh, hold on, sons of thunder, right? Back up the truck a little bit. We're not here to do that, right? And how many more campfire stories would that name have come out, you know? Go get, go get some food, sons of thunder. Go, go for it, right? Bring down, the, bring down the hail. He had fun with him. He, he, even some of the things he said to the Pharisees, which mostly we mark on the stuff that was a little bit more, uh, atta- a little bit more attacking them, you know, he even said things that were just funny to them that they would have understood. That was sort of an inside joke for those that were around him. This is the playfulness of God. This is the playfulness that Jesus wanted to bring about. I love this other story when he reveals himself again to the disciples. He's disappeared in the upper room. They all go back to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter decides he wants to go fishing. So this is the story. Jesus appeared again to the disciples before the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. This is what, this is what John said. He said, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they all said, well, we'll come too. They went out in the boat and caught nothing all night long. And then at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out, hey guys, have you caught anything? Which is a fisherman's favorite question. Just want you to know that, right? Have you caught anything? No, they replied. He said, well, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Go throw it on the other side, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't even haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, if you don't understand, this is exactly what happened to Peter three years earlier. Okay, this is one of those, this is one of those moments that Jesus again is having fun with them. You know, that we've you know how many times we've talked about that story? 
you know, where Peter at night would have been like, you know, I can't even remember how many fish we caught that day. It was crazy when Jesus said to do that. And here he is revealing himself again to them in the same way. I actually love the rest of it where he says, disciples, you know, the disciple Jesus that loved, he said it to Peter, this is John, he said, look, it's the Lord. Well, Peter jumps out of the boat and just starts swimming. And the rest of them come behind in the boat. And then Jesus says this. Again, you gotta, you got to read this with some understanding. He says, hey, why don't you bring some of the fish you caught? Okay? There's probably 15 to 20 people here. going to have breakfast. Why don't you bring some of the fish you caught? Well, they bring the fish along, and there were 153. 153 large fish. You don't think Jesus is having fun with them? Why don't you bring some of those over? You know? There's 153. Could feed a village. Why don't you bring some of those over? Let's have some breakfast together. If you can't close your eyes in your prayer time, in your quiet time, when you're reading the Gospels, if there's no pure joy in you coming from God, then you're missing something. You're missing something. Okay? This playful joyfulness, it's not a reflection of your humor. Y'all with me? It's not a reflection of the things you laugh at. Oh, I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party, right? It's not it. It is pure joy. It is the kingdom of joy. It is the playfulness, not the expense of others. And not damaging and not unwise. It is this playful joyfulness that he wants to share with you and with me. He came to show us that. Now, it wasn't all jokes. It wasn't all laughter, right? Not in the fullness of who Jesus is. There was also fierce intention. There was also incredible purpose and fierce intention and, and, and ferocity, right, to the mission that he was doing, to what he was called to do, to what he knew was most important. Right? I read, the, I read last week the response to this story, but I wanted to save this story for today because it really does picture, help us picture this element and this person of Jesus, the real Jesus. But this is when he went to Jerusalem. And he went to Jerusalem, it was nearly time for the Passover, and Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for the sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Basically, they had set up a bank at the, at the temple because there were so many people visiting, so many people with, with foreign money coming in, and they were basically exchanging money or charging a fee. Y'all with me? Right? They were charging a fee. They were making money off of the exchange, and they were selling all the cattle and stuff for the sacrifices, just trying to help. I'm sure it started off as good intentions, but it just became a, a circus. So Jesus, right, he made a whip. How many people have ever made a whip before? Right? I just want you to know, this took a little bit of time. Okay? This took a little bit of time. He, he made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out. He chased all of them out from the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. You people are like, why do you need a whip? Because there were dumb sheep and cattle in, in, little, uh, you know, in little stalls and in little fenced-in areas. And he grabs the whip and starts to whip 
and just create this disruption and this, and this stampede, if you will, of these animals rushing out of the temple. He's scattering money, okay? I mean, there's some, again, you just have to picture him picking up and throwing money, turning tables over. This is not, again, you can't see a picture of this sort of lanky, wispy Jesus and have this image of him going, excuse me, would you all please move along? No, he's, he's a tornado creating a riot. And it took some time. He drives all of them out from the temple. That took time. And he goes on to say, he goes over to the people selling the doves and he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then the disciples remember the prophecy from, from, from the Old Testament that said that passion for God's house will consume me. There's a passion for God's house that will consume me. There was a fierce intention. You know, we can learn a lot about people when they get angry about something, right? You can learn a lot about someone when you see them get angry about something. Now, for all of them that the world centers around them, they get angry pretty quickly. There's a short fuse. They get angry pretty quickly. It's all about them and how it affects them and how life treats them and their go-to emotions, anger. Okay, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that something rises up in them, a righteous indignation, right? A, a, a righteous anger. And it reveals the passion in their heart. It reveals what they are fiercely passionate about. And here it says, okay, they, they, they all of a sudden remember, God brings to mind some of the Old Testament to them that says there's going to be a passion for God's house that's going to consume him. That Jesus is not going to mess around when it comes to the religious, pious, right, culture that was taking advantage of God's people. That was putting obstacles in their way to getting close to God. Jesus would not stand for it. He was a locomotive, right? He plowed over them. And there's a way, obviously, anger is not a sin. That's why he tells us not to sin in anger, right? Because we can sin out of anger, we can sin in anger, but anger itself is not the sin. Jesus is proof of that. That there's a fierce intention about what's going on and what's at stake and what his mission is. Matthew says it this way. It says, beware of false prophets. This is Jesus saying, beware of false prophets. They come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, by the way they act. Oh, there's proof in the pudding, right? You can identify these people by the way they act. When stuff, gets re when stuff really matters, they reveal them true selves, you're going to see it. You're going to notice. They're going to look like sheep on the surface, but they're actually wolves. He goes on later to say, you, uh, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. And he goes on to state again the importance, the, with fierce intention, the importance of what this relationship with Jesus means. This is why he had a purpose and a mission. He goes on to say this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. The action, the life. He goes on to say on judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, meaning we said things that were true. We cast out demons in your name. We performed any miracles in your name. Now we would look at that and go, wow. But Jesus said, I'll reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, those who break God's law. I never knew you. See, this goes back to, you might technically know a whole lot about Jesus, and you may know the game fairly well when it comes to to sort of the religious life. But if you do not know him, if there is no personality, if there is no relationship with the person of Jesus, then that's going to be a problem for you. Because he was fiercely intentional about making it very clear about the relationship that was needed when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Fierce intentionality. And I love this last one. I, I love all of them. I say they're my favorite, but they're all my favorite, right? This is another part of his character, a part of his personality, is the scandalous freedom that he has. Oh, that we need so much more of today. The scandalous freedom where Jesus would not allow the, the, the pressure of reputation, the pressure of what other people thought of him, the pressure of what people wanted to make him in terms of making him a prophet, making him their king, making him their religious leader. He, he would constantly do things, scandalous things, because he wanted to help them understand the freedom that comes through him only. I'll give you an example. He had just preached the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so understand, it's, it's about three chapters, and, and this was one of those first big moments where Jesus, basically as he's preaching, talks about the kingdom of God in such a way that just kind of reshapes everything for them. It reshapes all of it. It's completely different in terms of application than what they've been learning as a child, what they've been receiving from those preachers. He preaches really his I have a dream sermon. Y'all with me? Like that famous sermon. And then it says this, when he came down from the mountain, large, follow, large crowds followed Jesus at this point. He came down the mountainside, and a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, you have to understand the context here is that if you had leprosy, number one, it was incurable, and you were unclean from society, not just from the temple, but from society. You had to stay outside the gates. And if for any reason you had to be around anyone, you had to yell at the top of your lungs who you were, unclean, unclean, to help people not accidentally touch you. And here Jesus says, I'm willing. But more importantly, he reached out and he touched him. He reached out and he touched him. And instantly, he was healed. Now, y'all, listen. Jesus didn't need to touch him. Y'all with me? 
Jesus healed people in cities that were far away by just saying it was done. He just, like, there was no need for this. One lady was touched by just, was healed by literally touching the outside of a garment of his, the hem. He didn't need to touch him. But yet, because the crowd was following him, and because of who Jesus is, he would not allow that moment to come to him when everyone else was probably immediately moving back away from this man. He went over and said, no, I'll heal you. And he touches him, which immediately makes Jesus unclean. Like, talk about a time, talk about a moment when Jesus' credibility, his credibility and his influence was probably at his highest and then he did something this stupid to ruin it for everyone who was with him. And yet Jesus said, no, I will not allow you to make me what you think you want me to be. That's that scandalous freedom that he was constantly living out in his life. So he would help us understand. He, Jesus, Jesus would not do very well current sort of PC culture, okay? Just, just being with kid gloves and worried all the time about what other people thought of us and what other people assumed of us. Jesus never gave the power of who he was to other people to decide who he was. He knew who he was. And that scandalous activity, that freedom that he had was constantly happening. He would teach parables that they hated, he would talk about feasts and banquets where rich people and important people were no longer invited, but it was the poor and the outcasts came. He would teach parables of fathers who would embrace fully and restore their prodigal children. He would teach stories about not just three times and you're out forgiveness, but a 70 times seven forgiveness. Oh, they didn't like it, trust me. It rubbed them wrong because it was scandalous. It was, it was a problem for their society. I tried to think of common examples today, and I'm just like, I think I've given this to you before, but you know, Matthew and Zacchaeus, two recorded tax collectors, two recorded tax collectors, in their common culture, tax collectors were their own separate group of sinners see it written sometimes that there were sinners and there were tax collectors, right? There were sinners and there were tax collectors. They were own form. And the only, only common cultural thing that I think even equates to that in our society is that there are sinners and there is the LGBTQ. Like their own category, their own group to most Christians. There's sinners and then there's them. Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. Let's go over to your house for dinner. Let's invite all your friends. And who are the friends of those tax collectors? More tax collectors. Zacchaeus, come down. Right? Zacchaeus was vertically challenged, as we would say today, right? He's in the tree. He's wealthy beyond means. He has taken advantage of people for years. He says, Zacchaeus, come here. We're going to your house. Invite all your friends. Constantly. Fighting scandal to show people what freedom really means. 
I love this one. I'll read it very quickly because we're running out of time. But <clears throat> No one elevated the status of women more than Jesus. Okay? No one did more, I believe, for, for women in this culture and time than Jesus himself. The fact that Jesus revealed himself to Mary before anyone else was, was a scandal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was already a problem for that society. For the women to be the ones who carried the message first. And there's a time in which, you know, again, it's not that much different than us, but, you know, for him to be a rabbi and a single man and, you know, to talk to a woman and, and, and all that was going to be a problem, especially if you were alone. And Jesus goes and sits by a well. He goes and sits by a well on the outskirts of Samaria. And Samaria, there was a lot of prejudice already between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Remember? Remember the J- James and John? Hey, you want us to call down fire on these people? That's how they thought of Samaritans, okay? Let's just destroy them, God. It'd be a lot easier. And here's Jesus. A drink water, and Jesus said, would you give me a drink? And he was alone at the time, right? Because he'd already sent all the disciples in to buy food. So that's a problem. The Samaritan, the woman was surprised. Why was she surprised? Because he's not supposed to address her as a single man and a single woman. Not supposed to address her because he's a Jew. Right? They refused to talk to him. Then Jesus replied, you only knew the gift God had for you. You would be speaking, you know, who would you be speaking to? You would ask me, and I would give you living water. And then she said, but sir, you don't have any rope or a bucket. And, and, and this is a very deep well. Where would you even get this living water? Now, I love this because she's tough, okay? She goes on to say, besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and the sons and the animals enjoyed? Like, she immediately starts to push back. She immediately starts to fight. This is like a, this is like a biker bar waitress. Y'all with me? Okay? This, she's got moxie. You know, she's got in the moment, but then immediately pushes back. This is not a weak woman. And Jesus goes on to reveal himself to her. He goes on to share about her life and, 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 and reveal things that no one else would know. And then she thinks he's a prophet, and she tries to take the attention off of herself and start talking about the temple and the mountain and disagreement among their people. And Jesus quickly just kind of squashes that and says, don't, look, it doesn't matter. Everything you think matters really doesn't matter. And then she finally says, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us. He'll tell us what's real. And it's in this moment that he chooses to tell her before he's told anyone else. He is the Messiah. That that's who he is. And she goes off to tell her village what she just encountered. Now the guys come back and they have no context. You know, what did they see? Well, they show up and they were, what's the word? But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Right? And and, and why are you talking to her? Scandalous. Y'all with me? This This is a big deal. Because when you don't understand these elements, when you don't really come together and put together the picture of what Jesus wants you to see, 
personality of even the Gospels. Matthew wrote differently than Luke. Luke wrote differently than, than Mark, who probably got all his information from Peter. John wrote everything completely different because it was their personalities coming through the inspired pages of the Word of God. And part of that reason was for Jesus to give us the broadest view possible of who he is. So that we would have a much better understanding of the person of the real Jesus. So I ask this question a lot. Whenever I, I encounter and talk with someone that I think is struggling with not having had a personal relationship with Christ. And this is a question, I, I ask this question a lot, and I'm, I'm going to give it to you. You've probably heard me ask this. It's what would your Jesus say to you? So he comes in today. He's, you're the only one here. He comes to you one-on-one, -on -one, and he sits down across from you, what would he say to you? Now, here's the problem. I've, I, this is just, this, this whole message began to just reveal this to me. Many, many people, it's, hard, it's a hard exercise to work through, but many people will eventually get to a place where they might feel like Jesus would say this, or might, Jesus might say that, and here's the problem. You might technically know a lot about even more importantly, and this is just me, even more importantly than what would Jesus say to you? Your Jesus. How would he say it? Because see, that's where the impact comes, right? That's where the impact comes. That's where the personality shows up. It's not the words that he would say to you. How would he say it? What would his eyes look like? Would they be closed? Would they be looking away? His posture? Would his arms be folded? Would he feel cold? Would he be shaking his head? Would, would he be smiling? Right? Do you ever think Jesus winks at you? Smiles at you? Would he be leaning in to you or be leaning away? Guys, this is, this is a little bit of an exercise for you, but, but I want you to do it. It's not that you as a part of this church and a part of this family would know a lot more about the real Jesus, but that you would experience him. Not only that you would surrender to all authority that he has in your life, but that you would get to know the personality of your Savior. That there is a there's so much about him, so much more than we talked about today, but even today, that there is joy, there is a playfulness, that there is a great deal of things he takes very seriously when it comes to the mission, the purpose of his life, and that he is not as worried as you are about what people think about you and him. He's not nearly as concerned with pleasing man. He made it very clear to the disciples, do not worry about pleasing man who can only take your life. You need to worry about pleasing God. There's a clear in this. And it's sometimes it invites a scandal. Sometimes it's, it goes against the grain to really throw out and experience the freedom that he offers you. 
What would he say to you right now? And more importantly, that serious question, how would he say it? Because that's going to matter how you feel. How would he say it? Start to read the gospel together. Picture the personality of Jesus coming out. Let it begin to change your life. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for you, not just as the divine, all-knowing, sovereign creator of the universe, but that you chose to become a man to embrace our form, our finite form, and, and not for your benefit, but for ours to help us relate to you as a person. God, I pray this morning that every single person in this room would not be following or falling in love with an image of their Jesus. God, that they would be overwhelmed with joy and intention and freedom of the person of you. Falling in love with that person. God, we pray that by your power, you're doing a work already in our hearts and in our lives and our church today. And we pray that you continue that work even through this series. In the name of Jesus, amen.